Good morning. That feels good, right? Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, but when we get, as we get started, I want you to just look around for a second. I mean, we're in a middle school. I want you to think, now this may be a dangerous thing for some, maybe, but I want you to think about your life as a middle schooler. Please. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, don't. I mean, I remember uh, you get, me, little, short, chunky Justin, running around Illahi Middle School over here a couple of year, a few years ago now, thinking about being an airplane pilot, wanted to be an Air Force pilot, didn't, uh, probably couldn't fit into an Air but that's a whole other story, but longed for that. And I, so I, because my imagination was captured by that, I was devoted to that. I, I used to like, oh man, I'm gonna be an, I'm gonna get my pilot's license before I get my driver's license. You remember thinking those crazy thoughts when you were like 13 years old? You can, literally can, if anybody's interested. Kids, go for it. Just not my kids, because it's too expensive. Anyways, but think about what captured your, your imaginations at these times. Think about the conversations that fill this room on a daily basis, okay? Like, they're kind of weird, right? Middle school is just an, sorry middle schoolers, it's just an awkward time of life. So most of us don't want to think about that. But think about what captures their dreams, what captures their imaginations, what, what thoughts they're thinking about, what the world will be like, and what, the, what part they get to play. But also think of the, the hardness, the sadness, the difficulties that many people and many students feel in this space. Now that's just this room. And that's just our imagination of what it may be like. Now think about that for all the people in the surrounding area. The 90, or the, about 100 to 120,000 plus people that make up Browns Point, Northeast Tacoma, the, three, the two zip codes in Federal Way, and Military Road. 120,000 people. Their desires, their imaginations, their dreams, and how those imaginations and dreams lead them to be devoted to something, to put, lay their life down for something, to put their money, their energy, their time. Those imaginations lead to devotion. Those dreams lead to devotion. Many of you are living in your dream that you've wanted for a long time. Right? You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm there, I'm here. Many of you still have those dreams. Like, I'm not, it's, something's off, something's not right. I'm, I'm still not living out those imagined dreams of mine. So what do we tend to do? I th- I mean, sometimes we get devoted to it, right? We hunker down. We get, as the saying in an old musical, which I love, we get hopelessly devoted. I know somebody in the room was at one point in a Grease play, and I thought about asking them to sing that song. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not saying who it was. I thought about it. Right now, on the spot, there's a stage, why not? But we get devoted, right? What, what we imagine, what we dream, we get devoted to. And when we get devoted to something, we tend to put our whole lives into it. So I want you to think about it, and I want you to do a little bit of a recon, if you will. Think about what your time and your energy and resources go to. Where, where are you currently devoted in your life? What fills your brain space? What fills your calendar? What, what is the outgoing of your money and your resources? 
What are you devoted to? And what does it mean to be extravagantly devoted to something? Because in this passage, we see somebody who shows this pure, extravagant type of devotion. And this devotion kind of plays itself out in a few different scenes as we are in John chapter 12. So this is going to be the last time for the summer that we're going to be in John 12. John, or excuse me, in the book of John. John 12 is the end of kind of a big chunk of the book. Starting in chapter 13, it really go, focuses on the last week of his life. And this is kind of the beginning of that. Up to this point, we've seen a lot of signs. We've seen a lot of Jesus going and doing some miraculous, big, bold things. And now, in the beginning of this, we see a shift to not just him doing something miraculous and bold. We're actually seeing one of his followers doing something miraculous and bold. And it's scandalous. So let's dive into it. Uh, This is the first part, a picture of pure devotion. Here we are six days before Passover. This is the third time Jesus has been to Passover. He's walking up. He's with his disciples. And it just throws this little thing like, oh, yeah, he's at a table with a guy that he raised from the dead. You know, all of us have done that at one point, right? But he's with this family who he deeply loves, sisters Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Mary does something that we can miss the bigness of in the moment. So here she is. Jesus is sitting down. He's reclining at a table. And verse 3, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Okay. Let me unpack that for a second. Does anybody have a pound of pure nard that's not Crisco at your house? Okay. Some people do. But at this point in history, this, this was about one year's worth of wages. So in the city of Federal Way, the annual um, household income is about sixty to sixty-five to seventy thousand dollars. Okay, so cut that in half for one person. We're looking at what thirty-five thousand dollars. Imagine holding a bottle of a liquid that's worth thirty-five thousand dollars. You think? What are you going to do with that? Pro right? Like, can you imagine just pouring? $35,000 worth of liquid on the ground. Because that's what the disciples are seeing here, right? They're looking at this like, what are you doing? How can you do something so ridiculous? But what does Jesus say? He's like, yeah, good job. I mean, here's the thing. Judas gets a bad rap. But Judas actually makes a lot of sense here. He's like, hey, we could have sold all that thirty-five. Imagine what $35,000 could do to Joke Church. I mean, let's make it really practical. And you're just going to go and pour it out on the ground? Like, how could you do that? What, what? And Judas is stealing. We know it's not good. But here's the thing. He he's kind of makes sense. But what does Jesus, what's actually happening here? She understands what's actually taking place in this moment. In another one of the gospel accounts, it actually says there's a couple different stories that all line up. And 
in that story, it says that she poured the perfume on his head. So when you put the stories together, you can start to sense that it's not just the feet of, that Jesus gets, but in essence, his whole body is filled with this fragrant um, perfume, this, this, and it would have been marvelous, expensive. She's preparing him for burial. She knows what this moment calls for. But why would she be willing to spend that $35,000 on this? Because she understood Jesus. I mean, if you get what he's all about, then to do something that extravagant makes complete sense. We tend to like, oh, we look at the cost of something. We look at the, the sacrifice of something. But we don't necessarily look at what it's for. Jesus was being prepared for burial. She was showing this extreme, unbelievably extravagant level of devotion for Jesus. I mean, they were probably a wealthy family. I mean, to have something like this, you don't come around that and just... Oh, yeah, we'll do that. They probably had some wealth to it. So, but for, even for them to extravagantly lay something down like that. I mean, think about what you imagined as a kid in middle school. Is there anything that captures your heart to that level of extravagance? Is there anything that when you think of you want to be devoted to, you're willing to lay down $35,000, one year's worth of your wages, just to show your devotion to it. There's no ROI in this. There's no return. It's not like they're putting this into crypto, hold off. It's not like they're doing this in the stock market and putting into a business that's gonna get anything back. She's just giving. She's just sacrificing. She's just laying it down. And she's doing it scandalously in that her hair is down. In Luke chapter 7 is the other story. If a woman were to have her hair down in this culture, it's akin to having somebody that's walking around topless in our culture. And everybody's like, well, I have my hair down. It's different culture. But for them, it was that like you, that was a big no-no. You don't show your hair to anybody but your husband. You don't let your hair down outside of your household. So not only is she laying down all that money in devotion to Jesus, she's also putting herself on the line there. And she's saying, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. This is what I'm going to do out of my devotion to him. What I'm going to do for him. What in your life is your heart so captured by that you're willing to do that level of devotion? Is Jesus, what he's done for us, are you willing to lay that much down for? See, the story then goes on in this devotion because after this, Mary, who gives the picture of giving everything you've got, cherishing and honoring Jesus above everything else, laying down everything that could be valuable for you. And then this next story is a false devotion. I'm not going to dive into this. We did Palm Sunday a few, a month or so ago. But what they were doing is, as they were walking in, as they're celebrating him, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. What were they yelling five days later? 
crucify him. You see, they, if Mary had a pure, extravagant devotion, they had a false devotion to him. Because they were devoted to the idea of Jesus, not the person of Jesus. Because Mary, she did something without any expectation in return. There was no ROI in that. And what were they expecting as they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna? There's something in it for them. I'm going to get something back. I'm going to get some fruit out of this. I'm going to get the place and my people are going to be set free. I'm not going to be under their rulership. And it's this guy that's going to do it. But when they find out that he's not the guy to do it, what happens? They turn on him on a dime. Because it's not about Jesus. It's about the cause that Jesus represents. And it's not his cause. It's not his kingdom. It's their own cause. And their own desire for kingdom. See, Mary, pure devotion... Pure sacrifice, laying your idea, laying it all down. They are laying it down just for the idea. Where is Jesus just an idea for you rather than a person to lay your whole devotion to? You see, in the last 15, 20 years, I've been, and many of us have been part of a movement that kind of talked against the, what's called the prosperity gospel. It's like, if you do these things, if you act a certain way, God's going to bless you financially. That's the prosperity gospel in a nutshell. I call him vending machine Jesus. Put something in, you get something in return. Unfortunately, that's actually crept into a movement that we're still part of. A lot of people, uh, not still part of, this is a lot more complex than this, but a lot of the, what's been called the young, restless, reformed, YRR, okay? There's, there's still a prosperity gospel in the midst of it. It's not around finances, though. It's around everything else. If you do these things, God's going to bless you this way. If you raise your children a certain way, automatic, God's going to allow your children to grow up and do what you, you desire them to do. It's subtle, but a lot of ways, it's very similar to the cause rather than pure devotion. We think that, oh, if I do these, I get in response. And yes, you do. But it may not be the cause for what you're looking for. You may get something better than that. Because what Jesus came to do is not give you the cause that you want. He's come to give you himself. His presence his goodness, his grace extended to you. Relationship with the triune God in the midst of suffering, knowing that the Prince of Peace is always with you. And I know that in times of my life, I haven't thought that that's good enough. I like the cause more than I like the person. I'm like, oh man, God. and I'm like, God, I did all the things that I was supposed to do. Why am I not seeing the results that I wanna see? Hello? Like, God, are you there? Have you been paying attention? Like, I did it. Now it's your turn to do your end of the bargain. I'm, I'm worshiping the cause. I'm not worshiping the person. This story shows us it's not about getting in response. It's about giving 
because he's that worthy to give everything to. So if, if she shows pure devotion, if they have a false devotion, then what does devotion look like for us? This is where verses 23 through 26, and I'll say this briefly. This is what it says. And you, you may have heard this many times before. It says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. There will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What's he saying? It's not, he's not looking for you to lay down ointment here. He's not looking for you to worship a cause. He's saying, I want you and I want your life. Is what Jesus has done for you magnificent enough? Has it captured your imagination enough that you're willing to lay your life down for him? And if we're all honest, we can all say, yes-ish. Yeah, I'm in. Yes, I want that. Yes, I believe. But let's be honest, brothers and sisters, we also have unbelief in there too. Yeah, I want that, but I'm not there yet. Welcome to Disciple Making Disciples. Because what we're not trying to do is we're not just trying to give more actions and more things to do. I mean, think of the blessed things that we're trying to lead people to. What we're not saying is, hey, here's more activity that you want to do because we just don't think you're busy enough and we need to grow the church, so we're just gonna have you start inviting people over for dinner. Spending your own money so we, don't want to, so we don't have to feed people. That's not what we're doing. What we're trying to do is provide an environment where we can realize that all of life is the way in which we get to experience Jesus. Like that's what we're missing. It's like, oh no, I got to do this, I got to do this. No, that's where we experience him. In my middle school day, middle school, high school, there was an old teaching by a guy named Henry Blackaby. Many of you have probably gone through the Experiencing God workbook. I still have mine when I was like 16 years old. It's my first thing I used to do with disciples and just help them go through it. A saying I'll never forget, where, find where God is at work and join him. What does he say in this passage? Follow me where I am. He must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be. Where is he already at work? Look around. And, and here's the thing. Okay. We're not earning anything. We're not looking for... Well, and we may go into this thinking that we're going to get something in return. Something practical, right? Return on investment, ROI. Brothers and sisters, do we really believe that he is actually good enough? That we get him. I was wrestling with this passage, and I was, I was laying in bed. I got nice, soft sheets. I, got a, I love my pillow. 
I hate going sleeping out of the places because I like my pillow. I'm a, I'm a pillow snob. I'm willing to admit it. And I was just wrestling with like being uncomfortable for a moment. And I, was, I, was, I wasn't able to like, I was kind of like rolling over and I just was uncomfortable. And then this passage came to my mind. It's like, okay, are you willing to lay down your life for this? I'm like, I'm not even willing to lay down my pillow for things, let alone my life. Like, I don't want to give this up. I mean, I, I'm privileged. I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm living in a beautiful house. If you look at the history of the world and the magnificence of my standard of living, the Roman emperor's got nothing on what I get to do. Running water, hot water, coffee, more fridges than I know what to do with. Like, that's extravagance. And sometimes I'm afraid that that gets in the way of my devotion. And I know in my life, I'm expecting return more than I want to admit. I want, God, bless me, bless me. Like, uh, go, do your thing. And I know so much of my work and my vocation is God doing his thing and me just kind of showing up. Like, I work hard. I'm not saying I just sit around. Please don't hear that. Although me saying that is a voice of shame. I'll just stop there. <laughs> of like having to account for it. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. That's why I'm getting a sabbatical. Okay. <clears throat> But there's this, this like, I, I want it, but God help me. I, devoted. My prayer for us, <clears throat> for all of us, and even for, like leading into my sabbatical, and leading to, and Justin didn't mention this, but if you have any questions or anything, we're just going to be hanging out over here to kind of a Q&A if anybody has stuff. We have some documents that are laying some things out. If anybody actually wants to read stuff, we read it, wrote it out for you. For me, I was leading into this, okay, like, I'm, I'm just tired. I just need some rest. I mean, COVID and all that was COVID was just hard. So I'm looking forward to rest. As I was going through getting ready with my sabbatical coaches and I had to do some exercises, to, not like physical exercises, like spiritual ones, praying and journaling, I realized that I was looking for just to get sleep. Honestly, I was like, I just need to take a break. But really, underneath that, and what the purpose of this is, is I just want more of Jesus. I wouldn't have said that. I, like, I just need everything to be moved out of my life for a little bit of time so I can get more of that. And what a gift. I just want to say thank you to the elders and you and putting up with it, not only putting up with me forever, but also just the, the ability to have this. I mean, what a gift, unbelievable. I'm like, not everybody gets this, but thank you, God, that I do. And a lot of it's like, God, I just, I need you. I don't, I don't want this other stuff, but don't be shy in giving me the other stuff, <laughs> right? That's how we, that's how the messiness of our hearts. Like, I want you, I just, just give me more of you. In the midst of all that we're calling for the summer of the blessed, in the midst of all that's going on in all of your lives, in the midst of coming here to Sunday mornings and, and all these things, the call is not do more. The call is, do you want more of Jesus? Are you, are you devoted? Do you want to increase that? Because here's the thing, Jesus already knows where you are not fully devoted. 
he loves you anyways. He knows where your heart's not fully in it. And he says, yeah, but that one's mine. He knows where your sin gets in the way of living out who you are in Christ. And he says, I paid the penalty for that already. Just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It's not just getting sleep. It's getting him. This summer, as we live normal life, as, uh, as you are led by the true head of the church, Jesus, our, the heart is just give us more of him. What I want to do is I'm gonna, we're going to shift just for sake of time. And rather than have dialogue like we normally have, I'm just going to lead us into communion and lead us into a time of worship, a, a time to reflect and when we go to the table, we're seeing God's devotion to us. Like, how devoted is God to you? Well, just go to the table and take a look at what that means. Because that's the picture of it. It's not like we get to be the first ones devoted. He was already devoted to us. He already has pursued us. He's already died for us. And this is what I love about this passage, and I don't get to dive into it too much, but that's where God is glorified most. Where is Jesus' visible splendor most profoundly and perfectly displayed? Hanging on the cross out of love for you. That's what John says. Want to know God's glory? You want to see what Isaiah saw with Jesus? Just look to the cross. Look to his love for you, his sacrifice for you, the body being broken for you, his blood being shed for the forgiveness of your sin. We're, we don't have to muster up devotion to him. We first have to respond and receive to his devotion to you. We don't pursue first. He pursued us first. So this is what I want you to do. There's a couple communion spots um, over your left and right shoulder, respectively. I'm going to invite you to just go to the table and grab the elements. And then go ahead and come back to your seat. We'll do like we did at Easter. We'll all take together. Um, so Chris will come up and start playing. Uh, we'll in interrupt during the middle of it. And we'll take communion. So go ahead and do that. I'll pray first. But I want you to receive this. And as you think about how you are devoted, as you respond and sing towards that, I also want you to think, what did he do for you first? What do you need to receive from him? Mary, who laid it all down, her brother was raised from the dead. She, she experienced the person of Jesus and life in his, her, his kingdom. And so she responded, bathed him in, in all of that. We need to receive so we can respond. So I invite you to the table to reflect, pray, receive that.